the OnScript podcast, your home for world-class conversations on scripture and theology, where you get to meet some of the best in the field. Visit us at onscript.study. Say hello on Twitter at OnScript Podcast and stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash OnScript. Hey everyone, welcome back to the OnScript Podcast. This is Matt Lynch coming to you from Regent College in Vancouver. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today we have Chris Tilling bringing an episode. I know I know a lot of you thought he went dormant, but no, he's alive and well. And uh, so we're grateful to Chris for uh, an episode. And I also want to just uh, ask if you could help us as we move into the holiday season to share the word about OnScript. Uh, if you have listened to us in the past, you know that that's a great time of year to disseminate the good news of what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Uh, one one idea, just to throw one out there, is if you're gathered around the table and the discussion starts to get tense, let's say it turns to politics or vaccines or mask mandates and, you know, the opinions are are divisive and heated, that's your moment. That's your moment to stand up and say, I think we can all agree that we need to vaccinate against theological ignorance. And one way that we can do that is listen to OnScript and then get your phone ready and, and just hit play, start an episode, maybe even this one. And I think that could serve as a rallying point for promoting family uh, units in, in, a, in a divided era that we live in. So that's just one, one idea and also, it would also help us out because it'll get the word out there about what we're doing. One other important announcement that I want to make here is that at the annual Society of Biblical Literature meeting in San Antonio, uh, which is held in conjunction with the American Academy of Religion, we're going to be holding a, a live OnScript event there. And it's sponsored by InterVarsity Press, which we're grateful to them for. Uh, and we'll fill you in on details, but it's going to be on Monday, the 22nd of November in San Antonio, uh, probably at 9 p.m. And we'll have a live recording and a chance to connect with some of you. So if you already are planning to attend AAR, SBL, or live in the San Antonio area, or heck, maybe you want to fly in for it, uh, that would be great. It would be wonderful to connect with some of you, and it's going to be a good time. So stay tuned for details. We'll put them on our website as they become known to us. We'll make them known to you. Thanks so much for listening, and enjoy this episode. Well, welcome uh, to OnScript, and today it's my pleasure to introduce once again. Um, he's already been on on the show before, uh, where he was speaking about his his essay looking at Pistis Christu with with Matt Matt Bates, that is, and it was a fascinating episode actually, and I recommend people go back and have a listen to that one because some of the theory that we're going to be talking about today is applied very much there. Um, uh, with uh, with the whole Pistis Christi debate, um, but but Kevin um, Grasso is about to obtain his PhD from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in Hebrew, uh, as well as an MA. He has in contemporary uh, comparative religion, and uh, he previously did an MA in linguistics at Dallas International University. His work focuses on applying theoretical linguistics, and particularly syntax and semantics to the biblical languages for the purpose of exegesis. And within biblical studies, he is interested in faith, law, and messiahship, and how Second Temple Judaism conceived of each of these categories. Uh, so certainly um, overlaps with many of my interests here. He lives just outside Atlanta with his wife Rachel and son Emmett, 
and will soon be joined, this is exciting, by Rhoda and Olivia, two daughters he is adopting from Liberia in a few weeks. That, that's something, um, goodness. So you're going to be outnumbered big time. Yeah, in, in very the quickly. Um, Switching from double team to zone. <laughs> well, welcome, anyway, back to OnScript. So today, we really wanted to have a chat about... Um, a language course, Biblingo. Now, I don't know how many of you listeners have heard of this, but um, I discovered this about oh, well a few months ago. I'm writing a commentary for the NICNT series at the moment on Second Corinthians, and my Greek is it's okay, but you know it's it's always I always need to keep it oiled um, to keep using it, use it or lose it. And uh, I'm no great linguist. I the only reason I can read German is because I've got a German wife and I lived in Germany for a number of years, but I don't have the same um, history with, with New Testament Greek. I've just applied a bunch of mnemonics to help me learn some vocab and muscled my way through an ancient grammar. Um, and when I say ancient, it's not ancient Greek. The grammar is ancient um, in order to read the New Testament. But I realized that I have a lot to learn and Biblingo um, attracted my attention uh, for a number of reasons that we will be getting into today, but um, first it it applied language learning um, techniques that I um, had actually been using in relation to my chess, believe it or not, language learning, but but um, spaced repetition, and it and it promised just a daily routine uh, for language learning, and and I have thoroughly enjoyed the course. Now this isn't I'm not this isn't a sponsored thing. Um, I'm a paying customer um, for Biblingo. Um, it's worthwhile saying that. Um, I haven't been given any special discounts or anything of the kind, um, but I thought it would be good to to have a chat with, with Kevin um, about the course, which he's pioneered together with Nick Mesmer, um, because it really is a unique learning platform for, for learning biblical languages. And so... So, Kevin, um, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what your vision is for Biblingo. Yeah, yeah, thanks. So, I think, so originally, we actually, um, I was at Dallas International University. This was, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And we, I, I thought of this idea to have this sort of Rosetta Stone-like, Duolingo-like thing for the biblical languages, specifically for Bible translators, right? And so my thinking was, okay, you have all of these people all over the world that are translating the Bible um, into different languages. And the problem is that they um, really have to learn some other language right now. So you might have to learn English or Spanish or, or whatever, whatever language there would be a grammar in, right? In order to then learn Greek or Hebrew. Um, and so that to me was, it didn't make sense, right? That we can't have everyone learning English, for example, you know, some random person in Indonesia has to learn some other language just to get access to the, to do these grammars. And so my thinking was, okay, as much as possible, we need to make this accessible, right? And, and that's really the issue um, is how do we make this accessible to, to more people? Um, in, you know, the way that Rosetta Stone does this is they use videos and pictures and, and that kind of thing, right? And so, so our idea was to found the program um, based on more second language acquisition principles and um, really to use a lot of videos and visuals and, and audio in the language, right? Get you using the language as much as possible. 
Um, and, and so that original vision for, for the Bible translators, uh, I mean, have, has obviously expanded. And so now at this point, you know, we're, we're really targeting anyone, um, but, but with the same idea that, okay, let's get, um, you know, let's, let's develop a program to where anyone off the street can come in and they can start using the program and, and start to learn Greek or Hebrew, right? Um, and we, and this is what, you know, we have, I mean, we have a wide spectrum of, of ranges, you know, from five to seventies, right. Of people who are lay people, pastors, translators, just all kinds of different people using the program. And, and the reason why they can is because, you know, it is, um, based on these principles that we know work for learning languages. Right. Um, so that's, that's the basic vision. Thanks. And, and, for someone like myself, um, you know, I'm writing a commentary. It's my profession. It's always important to um, keep myself well oiled in the languages. But as you have just made clear, your vision is for a wide audience for for those who um, are lay and just interested, as well as professionals. Um, but I guess some will be saying, "Why bother?" You know, well, okay, Chris, it makes sense for you because you're a professional in this, but. But can't we just read English translations? What benefits, apart from, you know, maybe impressing an impressionable congregation or, or obtaining good grades at seminary or in impressing someone you fancy? Who knows what? Why study Greek or, or Hebrew um, at this level? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And I think it really is a serious one. You know, it's, it's not that... Um, I mean, should everyone learn Greek? Probably not, right? I mean, and I mean, this is, I mean, there's a reason why the gospel um, has been translated into so many languages and we want to translate it, right? Um, I mean, and I think that's a good thing. But at the same time, um, you know, you really are, there is a difference between a translation and the original. And, you know, there has to be a sector, you know, of the church that is well-versed in these languages. Um, and, and part of the problem is that our competency in the languages and just in general has been declining, right? We've been relying more and more on helps and, and all of these things that are, that are great, but, but that are ultimately founded on our knowledge of the language languages. And so, you know, those helps are only as good as our knowledge. Um, and so we just, we always have to have people that are, looking at the original text and saying, okay, you know, what, what is Paul really trying to say here? Um, because if the, the translation is necessarily an interpretation, right? And it is to varying degrees. Um, but if, if, you, if you screen out um, some of the interpretive issues um, in a translation, right, you, you just don't have access to, um, yeah, yeah, to potentially what Paul intended, right? Because that translation um, could be a misinterpretation. And of course, like most of the time, um, you know, we can trust our translations. Um, but the issue is that there are there are hard passages, right? And so people um, will look at two different translations and they'll say something different. And, you know, the reality is you can't engage in that sort of debate unless you know the original, right? You just, you just don't have access to it. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing is, is, you know, if you really want to get into, um, you know, some of the, the more 
foundational or tougher like theological questions that, that we're talking about today, like you, you, you have to have recourse to the, the biblical languages. Yeah, 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 indeed. And this is one of the challenges I find in, in higher education is, is cultivating a love for languages um, and to see the benefits that it can bring. And I remember being told by my, my teacher, I think it was Philip Esler actually, who, who, um, who mentioned this back when I was learning, learning Greek at introductory level. He would say, a little knowledge goes a long way. And I think, I think that's true. Uh, in many ways, um, a little knowledge can immerse you into a world of of um, possibilities and options and questions that just wouldn't have emerged otherwise. But what your course is doing is taking you uh, taking the the student beyond that into good language proficiency. I mean, what sort of ranges are you hoping to attract uh, in the course? Yeah, I mean, we. Um, I mean, I mentioned this earlier, you know, we have kids using the program, but, but, um, you know, also professors. And so the, the idea is that, you know, the way humans learn languages is by practice. And so, you know, again, it's, it's something, the way I always compare it is, um, what I always compare it to is like a sport or an instrument, right? So if you're playing an instrument, you need to practice. And that's true of the complete beginner, um, and the professional, right? And so the idea is that, um, you know, it, we we are trying to set up the program to where anyone at any level can practice, right? And and so that's that's the idea, and and I think we've done that, um, you know, fairly well. So at this point, you know, professionals like yourself, I think, can have real benefit, um, especially because a lot of people um, aren't used to producing <laughs> in the languages, um, and so you know, when when you ask them to speak or type for the first time in Greek, um, it's a it's a different muscle you're exercising, right? Um, and so at that point too, it's it's um, I mean, I think in pretty much I mean, we've seen a lot of people who who have taken Greek, um, but have benefited, you know, from from starting at the beginning and just going through it um, in a way in a way that's different than what they've done before. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I'm. I probably will bore people with this, but I, I've mentioned before on OnScript that I'm chess player and I really enjoy Chessable, which is a web uh, web based chess learning platform that um, that uses spaced repetition um, in order to um, help you improve, learn opening variations, tactics, things like that. Um, and one of the most astonishing things about it is that you see your learning by by means of active repetition. You need to repeat what you've just learned. Um, and it can be hugely satisfying to see how you're growing and how your how those muscles that you're exercising can be used now, you know. Um, and that's one of the things that I think attracted me to Biblingo is that a similar effect um, takes place when when you you're testing yourself immediately. You're active in your learning, and you see, hang on, this is working. Um, so maybe we could look at what's in the tin, you know, what what is in um, the in the course. And uh, maybe we could just begin with a slightly more general question, because back in the day, I got Randall Booth's Living Koine Greek, which I wouldn't say, well, there's some similarities. Uh, you know, you, you, you've got to look at pictures and, and you hear an audio and then slowly but surely you're building up your grammar and your vocabulary. Um, maybe many don't know Randall Booth's Living Koine Greek, but I can still hear the voice saying trapeza in the background to, to this day. Um, but... Um, how is Biblingo different from uh, what Randall Booth produced in Living Koine Greek? 
Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I have to say, you know, Randall and and Christoph Rigo as well, um, who was at the Police Institute in Jerusalem. Um, you know, they they really have been pioneers in this um, in in the field. You know, and 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 really, what they did was they they took you know second language acquisition methods and they said, okay, how can we apply this to to the biblical languages? Um, so that being said, um, I mean, I think the the two biggest distinctives between you know what we have and um, what Booth has is one, one is just the amount. Well, three things. One is the amount of content. Um, you know, it's just we have built a course that would be you know the equivalent of. Um, I mean, right now what we have is something like the equivalent of two semesters, and and we'll be adding um, about a third more content. Um, and so you don't need to supplement it with anything um, if you don't want to. So, so in that sense, um, you know, you, there's just probably more content than than the living Koine Greek uh, materials. Um, the other thing is the well, and and the Bible reading. So we will get to this later, I think. But um, you know, we have the full biblical text marked up um, according to every word you know, and so that's the kind of thing that just he just doesn't have. Um, the 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 second thing I think is is the second language acquisition theory. So this his materials, you know, at the time were were very good, um, but but they, I mean, at this point, you know, we've learned a lot since he first published that material, right? Um, and so we're trying to kind of update some of our, um, yeah, some of our material with more modern um, more modern methods. Um, you know, we, we do this in a, in a variety of ways, but one of the ways that, that you mentioned, right, was trying to get you to actively produce it as quickly as possible, right? Um, whereas BLC, you know, so I've studied with BLC, um, you know, I did, I did Hebrew in, in Jerusalem. So I did the, the actual book and then I did the, the class as well. And, and, um, at least, at least in, in the class and, and what, you know, what I experienced is, you know, they, they, they advocate for this sort of delayed, um, speech. And, and this was, there's a reason why people have done this in second language acquisition. It was supposed to mirror first language acquisition. Um, you know, just babies listen and comprehend a lot. And then, you know, after a year or whatever, they, they start to speak. Um, but, but this really hasn't shown to be an effective way to learn a second language, right? Which is different. Um, and so, or the most effective way. Okay. So, um, yeah. So in that, in that respect too, we, we are a, a bit different. And then the third, the, uh, big pieces is, is the software, right? When we just have, you know, with software, it's, again, we can track every answer you have. Um, we can do the space repetition. Those kinds of things are very, very easy to, well, they're, they're not easy to build into the software, but, but once you build them into the software, um, yeah, they can be used in a variety of ways. And, and, and that's, that's a pretty distinctive feature. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, I remember uh, there are some words that I typed in wrong in a test, and they appear in my um, uh, review lists automatically because of the way the so software platform implements that, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, so the, the, in, in the course itself, you've got the language learning, which is perhaps the heart of, of it all. Um, can you in unpack, you know, what what are user experiences and and what they are gaining from the the language second language learning uh, methods that you've applied yeah so um when you enter into a lesson the first thing you'll see is um 
a grammar video. So I'll be explaining what you'll learn in that lesson. Um, you know, just very short um, videos we're actually going to redo in the near future. Um, but, but basically the idea is just to orient you to what kind of grammar you will see. Um, and then we have a lesson guide as well um, for the same, same purpose. And then um, you'll, you'll go through this, this progression from what we call the association passive and active stage. So you'll do this for four to six vocabulary words. Um, and the idea is what you'll, what you'll see is a picture or a, a GIF um, of a, of whatever verb or, or noun that you're learning um, or word. And um, you'll hear the Greek, you know, uh, audio and you'll, so the idea is the association stage, you're pairing the audio and the text with the, the meaning found in the picture, right? That's the idea. And then in the passive stage, you have the picture and you have to choose the correct Greek word that um, goes along with it. And then the active stage, you, you see the picture and you have to describe it either um, by speaking it, by typing it, or with, with a word bank. And so the idea is that you, you learn um, something best when you have um, depth of processing. So, so this is what we say, right? Is that it's both depth of processing and repetitive uh, practice, right? And so the reason why we're trying to get you to produce it as quickly as possible is because it increases the depth of processing. It's, it's much harder, right, to, to produce something or, you know, even in the teaching world, it's much harder to teach something rather than to just passively listen to a lecture, right? And you have to know it so much better to teach it, Right, and, and this we all kind of know this with uh, with other fields. Um, so the idea is that w we want to get you as quickly as possible to the point where you're describing the world, right, in Koine Greek. You see the world, and you say, "Okay, I know what this what this means, um, or how to describe this in Greek." Um, so 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 we're trying to get you to that point in a way um, that isn't overwhelming, right? And so that's why we have these stages. And then, um, so you, you go through this with vocabulary and then you go through it with grammar, the same thing. So we're basically treating a grammatical item, um, you know, in the same way. So, so in order to learn, you know, the present indicative third person, right? You, you, what, what you need is, um, you know, practice. And, and so you, you start with the association um, with a sentence, you know, anthropos day, right? And then you... Um, you go through the association stage with that, and there's a there's a video um, that we filmed in Israel that um, is paired with that, and then you go through the passive and then the active. So again, you're producing this sentence. So so the idea is that when you read the text, um, you will know what the world was like um, because you you have learned to describe the world right in Greek right. That's 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 what we're after is is that when we read the text of, um, you know, the Greek New Testament or Hebrew Bible that we are picturing in our minds what that world is like and not just reading the English through it, right? Because at that point, it's it's not helpful to us. Um, so, so that's what we're trying to get you to, to be able to, um, yeah, describe the world um, in, in the original language. And it, it is quite funny how it, it does that for you. Uh, it's, um, one of the ways of learning a second language, I'm, you know, one of the ways that one of the techniques is to use little sticky labels and stick everything around the house, um, you know, get, but write on what it is 
Um, so they say you've got a cup, so you might in German tasse or topotirion in, in Greek, just bung it on, stick it on, and effectively that's what you're doing. You're doing all of that work for people so that they can start to interpret the world around them. Um, using the language. Immersive, I suppose, is another way of put it. Is So when you say depth of processing, you mean, you mean is, is this something that's happening both because of the active learning and because of the visual association with the GIF or JIF or however you pronounce that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's both. I mean, people, people have studied, you know, okay, how do you best learn a vocabulary word? You know, is it, is it through a picture or is it through, you know, let's say a translation? Um, part of the problem with a picture is that they're often ambiguous, right? Um, we just, if you see a picture of a man, it, it could be a variety of things, right? Um, you know, a variety of words into English that you could describe, um, you know, the, the man reasonably with. But, but the, so the issue is that um, we, we don't want to, we don't want to rely completely on the picture. Um, but, but, but yes, the idea is that um, we, we do, we use the picture and the audio, right? All of these things um, for depth of processing are, are hugely important. That you would hear it again and that you would see it. Um, but then that you would also be forced to, to use it um, is, that, is that key step that, that a, lot of, a lot of people just don't take, right? They, um, you're not usually asked to, to do that in a normal language, in a normal Greek class, right? Um, and so even if, even if you did, you know, more translation, um, you know, from English to Greek, right? I think that would be better because it, it forces you to ask questions about the Greek that you wouldn't otherwise ask, you know, okay, I, I understand the English, like, how, how do I get to the Greek from here um, is a different question. And so, so that's the kind of exercises that we're trying to force you into um, so that, like I said, you understand the Greek, um, just like you would understand the English. Yeah, yeah. And as an example, there's Uranos. The you what you have in in the course is just a picture of a of the sky. You know, it's a blue sky with some clouds, if I remember rightly. But you'd usually get a gloss, wouldn't you, in a book with a vocabulary and and heaven perhaps, and and that really does take you in a very different direction. And um, that kind of uh, association and gloss, but that leaves it open, doesn't it? The picture, I, I guess, because of its ambiguity. But um. So there's the there's the language learning, which is everything you've just spoken about. But you have other is it modules? Is that how you put it? Uh, you've got the Bible reading uh, module. You've got the flashcard decks, the alphabet lessons. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what 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 they're doing? Yeah, yeah. I, maybe I should back up a little bit too because um, what I forgot to mention about the language learning, the the two key components that are related to the Bible reading module are. Um, the um, reading comprehension and the the fluency drills. So so the reading comprehension, the problem the problem is um, with a lot of people they they get. I know this is it will sound funny, but they they jump into the <laughs> New Testament text too quickly. The issue is that it's too hard for people. Um, I mean, when when you're just learning a language, you need to be taken you know by the hand. Um, and, and just like guided, you know, through, through baby steps, right. Um, through texts. And so the idea is that we, so we've written these stories, these reading comprehension stories, um, that are the baby steps, right. So, so we're trying to build this, 
this sort of on-ramp into the text. And so as you progress through the program, you, you're getting more and more um, biblical texts or biblical-like texts um, as you learn more grammar, as you learn more vocabulary. But in the beginning, what you need is something that's comprehensible. And the, you know, the studies that have been done on reading um, say that really you should you should understand 98% of the words in the text. Um, that's kind of like at your level if, if, if you were trying to progress in the language. So there's 2% that you you shouldn't know. And, and most people never get there with the New Testament, right? And so so the issue is that that what ends up happening is that you're not you're not fa- focusing on the skill of reading um, you're because you don't know enough words, right? You, you're stopping every you know other line um, at multiple words and it just it just it's not the same as the skill of reading. Um, so, so what we've tried to do with this is just create, um, yeah, these, these short stories, very easy. I mean, well, they progressively get harder, right? But we know that they're on your level because we're using only the grammar and vocabulary that you know, right? Um, so, so there's the reading comprehension and then the fluency drills as well. Um, we basically use the same spaced repetition um, technique and put it into the grammar. So it, it, let's say you've learned the present active indicative. Um, we would just put that into a spaced repetition algorithm and allow you to practice that paradigm um, in the context of a sentence. So, you know, you might see, you know, whole anthropos kras, right? And and you have um, to put in, you know, whatever conjugation is correct. And then, you know, the next one might be ego kras, right? Just like you would, you know, to, to, to parse. But, but what we've done is put that again into this algorithm um, so that you you can practice in a way that makes sense. Um, so all of that is designed, right, to get you into the text, right? That's, that's our ultimate goal is to get you into the text in a way um, that makes sense. So, so that when you go to the text, you're, you're confident, you're reading it with comprehension, right? And so that's where the Bible reading module comes in. And that's really the next sort of stepping stone. Um, so, what we've done is um, we have a we have a Greek New Testament, and we've created a system where we're keeping track of every single word you learn right in the program. So if you've learned a word in the language learning module, um, what ends up happening is that it changes color in the Bible reading module. Um, it it basically says, okay, you've learned this word before. Um, and, and what that does is it, is it increases the percentage, right? This is the key, right? The percentage of words, you know, in that chapter. Um, and because what we want to get you to is that 98%, right? To where you're reading and you're learning some vocabulary words, but, but you're, you're reading the text like it's a text. Um, and so basically what you can do with that information is you can sort the entire Bible by chapter or by book based on the amount of words you know in that chapter or book, right? So, so this creates a basically a customized graded reader, right? So, so what you, I mean, it's it, it's it's very very powerful for people that um, already know the languages, right? They can immediately jump into this. Um, they can you can basically archive by frequency. So if you haven't, you know, um, done the done the the language learning module, you can just say, hey, I already know every word above twenty five um, times frequency. Mark all those as known, um, and then you can just work through text, right? Again, in a way that makes sense um, according to your level. And so, along with that, um, what you can do is, you know, so if you come across a word you don't know, you can click on it. You see a definition in our dictionary, um, and you can add that to a flashcard deck, right? And that flashcard deck um, goes through the same 
um, three stages, association, passive, and active. So you can go practice there. And then um, once you do practice, it's thrown into that space repetition loop, right? And so just the idea is that you, you, you can get as far as you want, right, with, with New Testament Creek. You know, you, you can start in the language learning module. You can pro progress to where you can read the text, um, you know, whatever chapter uh, is easiest for you. And then you can um, read, you know, through all the chapters or all the books in the Bible um, and learn all the words in, in the most efficient way possible. Yeah. Yeah. So I think this is, it is so exciting because it gets you into the text in a way that is, doesn't give you a headache. When I was learning German at the start, I, I was reading a chess book, but with a dictionary next to me. And, and I, uh, I didn't know the vocabulary, probably only about 15% of the words on a page. You get through very slowly. It's not satisfying. Um, it's frustrating, actually. It can be dispiriting. But after you've done 10, 15 lessons in Biblingo, um, I think you'll find, was it the Johannine epistles? Quite a lot of the vocabulary is already covered um, there. And you can, it's like a graded reader, as you say, you can start diving into the text in a way that um, demonstrates uh, understanding. It's, um, it's a lot of fun. So there's the Bible reading module. Now, how, tell, tell me a little bit about the, the flashcard decks. Yeah, yeah. So these are, um, you know, just basically a set of decks that you you can create or and we have some like preset decks in there as well um so you can create them in in really two ways you, like i said you can go through the the bob reading module click on a word add it to a flashcard deck right um the other the other w thing you can do is you can just generate decks based on um book or semantic domain so you can say okay give me all the words um that talk about you know houses right um and you can just generate a flashcard deck with with all those words um really all those senses of words um so we, we, we teach you know basically we want you to learn each sense of the word rather than just saying each word so um the idea is that um you know you can we, we you need to learn vocabulary right i mean and and this is unfortunately been um, kind of neglected in, in language study. Again, it's been the kind of thing people have said, okay, well, you can look it up. Um, but but that's that's just the whole point of learning the language is to learn the nuances of the words, right? I mean, that's just, that's what, that's what we're trying to do. Um, and so, yeah, so, so you can generate um, decks based on the semantic domains, or you can generate them based on... Um, on the, the books or chapters of, of the Bible. So you can just say, okay, I'm, I'm reading through Matthew. Um, why don't I generate, you know, um, a deck for every word I don't know? You know, I'll, I'll generate a deck for Matthew 1 to 5. Um, and then you can study those words. And so that when you go to the text, you know those words, right? You've seen them. Um, and so so that's the the powerful thing about it, again, is that we can kind of cater it to to you. Um, and then the, the alphabet lessons are, are really just, you know, introductory um simple uh yeah lessons to learn the alphabet they, they do use the same sort of association passive and active stage again to get you um you know using it as quickly as possible now um all of these i mean there's the alphabet lessons as well but we should probably just move on apart from what's in the tin to think about some of the pedagogy involved some of the theory and i sort of vague um uh, acquaintance with some language learning techniques, um, not only because of the Aramaic, Hebrew, and, and Greek when at university, but because of you know, later on with with the German. 
of using mnemonic devices, you know, the, the visual picture association and um, where you make a, an abstract word into something that you can visualize and then you visually associate it with something else in order to be a memory cue. Not really useful um, for um, fluency. That just takes practice. But as a sort of cramming everything in quickly, it's quite a useful technique. And then, as I've mentioned, there's the whole spaced repetition, which I swear by uh, for my chess. It's certainly helped my chess. Um, but um, these, these and other things are pedagogical tools that I've used in... But I'm, uh, but I notice the course applies this and many others besides. There's the day streaks, the points you get, maybe enlisting dopamine in the whole process of learning. Um, uh, can you tell us what you know? What what pedagogical tools, language learning tools, apart from the ones you've already spoken about, have you mobilised in the course? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I mean, one of the the things that you've said, right, is is enlisting dopamine i mean we we want you to enjoy it right and so we've tried to to structure it in a way that um you you don't view it as you know the sitting you know with your german dictionary and you know just trudging through i mean that's 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 really i mean you can learn a language that way right but it's just most people don't um and and this is a, a, an, an important point it, um, most people don't learn a language that way because they can't sustain motivation, right? Um, and, and that's actually a huge part of language learning is how do we get people to continue, right? And the way you do that is is you make it fun, right? Um, I mean, and, you know, it doesn't have to be like, um, you know, I don't know. I don't I mean, some people say it's it's very fun and ad addictive. I, 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 I personally, it's very hard for me to like get into that user perspective because I'm behind the scenes, Um but but just like engaging senses, engaging different parts of your brain, um, it's just so different, right? Than than just staring at a text, um, and so so that's the kind of thing that that we've we've tried to do. Um, I mean, you know, you can create plans. You can um, we have all kinds of other things in the future too. Um, you know, being able to follow people, for example, um, is, is would be a a big one that that we would work on. But I I don't know if you're I don't know if we're also talking about like. The theory, second language acquisition theory here are more of just the tools. Um, there's. Well, I mean, I was going to get to the second language acquisition theory. Um, but maybe just before we get there, uh, this was more about the tools, uh, the more general question. But um, pronunciation, I mean, this is, this is quite a big issue for some, isn't it? And I, I remember back in the day when I was... I was taught with uh, Erasmus pronunciation guide, and just everybody was, and I don't think there were options back back then in the 90s, um, at least not to my knowledge. But I did get a hold of Chris Karagounis's, um massive volume um, at some stage while working on my PhD, and had uh, fun correspondence with him about all that. And he actually produced um, uh, software uh, um, to help uh, shift to... Oh, goodness, what did he call it? Historic Greek pronunciation? I, I forget. I'm not terrible. Sorry, Chris. But what you've offered on the course, I think, are three options. Is that correct? It's you, so you've got Erasmus Greek? Yeah, four, actually. Four? Okay. This is yeah. just for Greek. So what are they again? So, yeah, they're, they're Erasmus. And, you know, Erasmus also varies. <laughs> um, so so it's American Erasmus. Um, um, yeah, then we have Koine. So this is like Booth. Um, just boost reconstructed. Um, and then we have early high Koine. So this is the one that most people 
probably wouldn't know about. This is what's used at the Police Institute in Jerusalem. Um, so Christoph Rico, um, it's it's a it's closer to um, like attic, honestly, than pronunciation than um, all the other ones. And then you have um, modern. So those are the the four we have: Erasmian, Koine, Early High Koine, Modern. I I was um, privy to a, a fun online discussion or debate. Um, on Facebook on, on these issues, some saying, look, it doesn't matter what pronunciation you use, others being very insistent that no. And it's got to be said, um, when I encountered Chris Karagounis's work and his software, I was amazed how much like a language the Greek New Testament sounded, rather than, you know, kai, theos, in ho, logos, and that sort of thing. Um, but I've decided to opt. I've, ch I've changed again. I've gone for modern Greek simply because I'm going to be on holiday every now and there in every now and then in Greece. So why not um you know use my my language acquisition to help me speak to con to order a beer if I if I need to. The uh because I once tried in in Crete to speak to someone and all I knew at the time was Erasmus Greek. And I tried to start off a conversation with this butchered pronunciation and I got some blank looks. Not angry but blank looks. Um, but anyway, this is something fun for, for users to, to um, explore. And you've probably got a podcast or, a, or something on, on these, haven't you? An option, you know, the options and pros and cons and such like. Yeah, we, we go through it in the alphabet lessons. Um, I mean, personally, I think it, people get a little too uh, upset about this whole issue. <laughs> I mean, the reason why we did it is because we, we know, you know, that this is a, an issue for people. Um, but, but at the end of the day, you know, you and I use different vowels, right? Um, uh, we understand each other perfectly fine most of the time, you know? Um, and so, so it, it's very much like that, you know, it, it, you can learn the language, right? Um, using a lot of different pronunciation systems and it, it's, it's, uh, what, what's important is that you stick with it and you practice a lot, right? Um, you know, I, I could learn to speak, you know, like a Brit, if I if I practiced a lot, right? Um, and that's just that's just how it works. But 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 it, but it it is different, you know. To 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 learn a pronunciation system is different than learning the language. Now, well, let's come back then to the issue that you raised just now: the second language acquisition theory. Um, perhaps you could talk us through some of these principles and, and how it's applied in Ibiblingo in in general terms. Yeah, so um, I mean, I think one of the the biggest influences here um, is Paul Nation. Um, so he's done a, a lot of work. Um, he's been in the field for fifty years. Um, a lot of work just on on English second language acquisition, and and really, you know, it, it works the same, right, more or less across the board. Um, so he divides um, language learning into four strands. Um, so it's it's language focused learning, um, fluency development meaning-focused output and meaning-focused input. Um, so the language-focused learning is n usually what people um, in language classes spend 90, 95% of their time on. Um, it's learning um, about the language without using the language, right? Um, so, so his argument is that each of these strands should be 25% of the course. So it's not that you neglect, um, you know, talking about the grammar, right? Anyone you know that knows me knows that that I love grammar. Um, but you you don't you don't actually need to know the grammar to know the language, and that's that's a, a really important point. If you if you walk 
out on the street and ask you know, a random person, what's the passive participle of break? They're probably not going to know the answer, even though they're a native speaker of English and they could use it immediately and they could understand it. Right. And so, so learning the grammar is, is just something different. I mean, it's, it's helpful. Um, especially when you're learning a second language, we, we know this, um, but it's, it's a different skill that you're developing. Um, so, so this is, you know, 25% of the language language learning. Um, and, and so for us, you know, that's, that's built into these short videos at the beginning, these lesson guides really that you could skip in theory, um, and still learn the language. Yeah. Now, the, the funny thing is my, my wife is German. Um, so, uh, mother tongue is German, but her English is as, as good as mine, frankly, but nonetheless, she can explain to others English grammatical concepts far better than I can. And she studied it at university, which obviously helps. But, um, you know, the, the nature of participles and gerunds and how they relate and all of these things, I wouldn't have the foggiest how to begin. Um, no, nonetheless, of course, my, my ability to understand texts um, is, is superior simply because of the number of words that I know. Um, not that you'd see that often. And frankly, she knows, well, maybe I shouldn't even say it's superior. Um, but um, but I, I take the point. Uh, that's, um, I see that very much. Um, yeah, any other um, principles um, that were worthwhile mentioning? Yeah, I think I think the the other big strand um, that's that's important for us. I mean, we incorporate all four of these, but but is fluency, um, and this is something that um, again is just not built into the typical Greek or Hebrew class, um, and so fluency has to do with um, practicing what you already know. Um, and and developing that skill, and so so for example, in our reading comprehension stories, you'll see one story, um, and then the next lesson, you'll see the like an identical story, um, but let's say in first person, right? Um, and so what we're trying to do um, there is is get you to um, become more fluent in in how you use what you know, and so. If for anyone that's learned to speak another language, you know, like, okay, when you go to actually speak, it has to be fast, right? Um, and it feels very fast, right? And, but it has to be, um, you know, in a, in a communicative setting in a way that, that um, doesn't, you know, slow people down and, and all of these things. And so, so in order to get there, you don't have to just know the words. You have to be able to spit out the words, right? Um, almost unconsciously, right? I'm not thinking about every single word I'm saying now, right? I'm just, I, I'm trying to articulate thoughts, right? And so, so that's, that's where fluency is a, is a huge component that is, is sorely neglected. Um, and one of the reasons why I think people, um, you know, come out of Greek not being able to read very well um, is because they haven't, they haven't developed this, um, this fluency in reading, right? They haven't read through enough text that they understand. So, so you know, for, for Paul Nation's, um, you know, principle for, for fluent, fluency reading is you should know 100% of the words. It should be an easy text, right? You should, you should be, you should read, I mean, for, for Greek, we should be reading, um, you know, dozens of children's books, right? The equivalent of children's books in Greek, right? Because, because what, that's at our level when we're starting out, Right. Um, and so we have to develop this skill of reading, and that's that's really the best way to do it. Um, now, I think it's probably time for a quick fire round. Now, I've been struggling to come up with some questions, and you've already been, you know, on 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 the 
on OnScript before, but uh, so I've tried to come up with some new ones. So imagine 50 years into the future, looking back at us today, what do you think people are going to be most nostalgic for? Yeah, I mean, I think this this is maybe a depressing answer, but but wilderness. <laughs> um, uh, what's that? You know, Say that again. Wilderness. Wilderness. Huh. That's an that's a good answer. I like that one. I wouldn't have thought of that one. Okay, so favorite film. Lord of the Rings. Oh, I'm with you on that one. Oh, absolutely. Now, which New Testament scholar have you benefited from the most? Um, probably N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright. I think many of us can say that. And yeah. now, who would win an arm wrestle? Stanley Porter or Con Campbell? So, you know, I, I haven't... I haven't met them oh. so it's hard for me to say but I, I from seeing pictures i i mean i i think it'd probably be concave right answer indeed okay <laughs> so he, he's he's ripped um okay right. so that's what i thought so randall booth or con campbell uh i mean con campbell <laughs> you or con campbell Probably him. <laughs> ah, yeah, all right. Well, fair I'll, enough. I'll give it to him. I'll yeah. give that to well, him. Okay, well done, Con. And um, what's the most ridiculous fact that you know? I don't know. I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, there's more, ants have more biomass than almost anything. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's pretty, pretty interesting. That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that, yeah. that's right uh, Way more than elephants and whales and, uh, <laughs> yeah, just as... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how ridiculous that counts for. But. I think it's pretty ridiculous. I, I think that's ridiculous. Um, so, finally, a little bit more seriously, I guess, but because the the course is is designed, you've spoken about the vision of Biblingo, and and your own work has all been about helping exegesis. You know the. Uh, in engaging with these texts. So what aspect of modern exegetical practice worries you the most and, and perhaps say what encourages you the most? Yeah, so I, I think I would say the same answer to both of these questions, um, and it is the linguistic theory. Um, what worries me the most is misapplication um, and misunderstanding of linguistic theory. What encourages me is that people are trying to get into linguistic theory. Um, but there really is, there's, there's a lot of, um, misinformation about, about frankly, what linguists are saying. Um, and so, um, I think that's one of the most worrying things because it, it definitely, yeah, I mean, it, it uh, it affects how people interpret the text, um, how people do exegesis. Um, but at the same time, there's, there's hope in that, you know, because people are beginning to look into these theories, um, really, really for, um, in, an, in a new way f for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, my, my doctoral supervisor was Max Turner. Um, and back in the... Goodness, I don't know, was it the 90s? Uh, Peter Cotterell and Max Turner penned um, the book Linguistics and Biblical Interpretation. So it's always been on my radar. Um, but I'm, I've been quite overwhel um, overwhelmed by the, the amount of information that needs to be processed. Um, and so... Um, uh, the Linguistics and New Testament Greek, there was Key Issues and Current Debate uh, book that came out not so long ago, edited by uh, David Black and, and Benjamin Merkley. And I, I um, yeah, absolutely. I think these are vital uh, for engaging with uh, the Greek. So um, maybe we can turn a little bit now to the, the linguistic theory involved in Biblingo. 
Um, yeah, whether you're reading Bill Mounts or or Dan Wallace, you know, there's a certain set of commitments and understanding of the relationship between um, linguistic theory, um, what lexemes do, syntax, a whole host of issues uh, that will be different from more recent um, grammars. Um, I've got, I haven't, I haven't gone through it yet, but the ancient Greek grammar by Heinrich von Siebenthal um, has just been translated into English. But, you know, Stephen Runge, who's bringing out other emphases, or Stanley Porter, and then the debates around aspect theory. There's so much there. But in, in what ways does Biblingo differ? And I mean this pedagogically as well as theoretically from some of the main other options, you know, the grammars that are on the table. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest difference, you know, in this respect um, is is more of my background, you know. Um, so I I have studied, I mean, so my PhD is, is going to be in Hebrew, but every class I took was in the linguistics department, right? So I'm, I'm basically got my PhD in linguistics. Um, and for me, um, what I'm, what, what I've tried to do is, is okay, go away from the debates, um, study linguistics, and then, and then come back, right? Um, and so as far as like what position we would take, um, you know, we're just going to draw on, you know, semantics literature, right, for tense and aspect. And we, we actually have a series on this on, on our podcast, um, you know, where I, I interview um, Nora Bonet, who's, uh, you know, well-known linguist um who works on tense and aspect um and you know we we discuss really the the what you would discuss in a the first uh class right in in a in a class on tense and aspect but but it, it's gotten actually a lot of um really good feedback because because the foundation is so important and we often have a bad foundation um and, and so she just lays out you know and we just go through the principles right um the basic um, definitions and terms and, and that kind of thing. Um, so, so as far as pedagogically, um, you know, we, we try to teach things um, quite slowly. So, you know, we want to we want to say, okay, um, we're, we're not going to teach you everything there is to know about aspect. Um, you know, when you learn the, the present tense, and that's okay. You know, we don't have to teach you all. You know, all the uses of the present tense when you when you learn that. Um, but but what we want to do is introduce you to these concepts. You know, okay, um, how how does time um, fit into aspect and, and, and what are the different aspects um, and how does that relate to the, the verbal system? And then, you know, slowly we introduce you to, to more of the, the nuances and the, um, you know, the different uses, you know, whereas in, in a book like, let's say Wallace, for example, you, you're going to read the present chapter and you're going to just going to get a, it's a fire hose of, you know, all the different uses of the present, right. Um, which is fine. Um, but 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 we we want you to acquire the language along with the grammar. Um, so so we're just going to do that um, just much more slowly um, as as time you know as you go through the lessons. Is there a grammar that you recommend to read alongside Biblingo that sort of dovetails with what you're doing a little more concretely, or or not? I mean, not. It's really hard for me when I get asked this question. It's really hard for me because I mean. We, we do we we use different terms right like um you know even something like aspect um i i couldn't really 
point you to a Greek grammarian um, inside the New Testament that that talks about aspect in the way that we do. Um, and so it is, I mean, I, I would say like kind of take your pick um, and and go through it and, and just understand, you know, that, that we're coming at it from, from a different angle. And it, sometimes, um, you know, the terms are different and sometimes the theory is different, right? That the analysis is different. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I would say. I mean, this will, you, you, you discuss deponent verbs a little bit. Um, I'm putting quotation marks around deponent for the purists out there, by the way. You do, of course, you get into tense and aspect. Um, in fact, I thought it was really interesting how you present verbal semantics in, in terms of topic time time of situation and time of utterance and how these three relate and and you visualize these um uh, there are these little pictures uh, that you uh, that you associate with with each in order to give a visual representation of what's required in the active learning process and is it can, can you can you say something about um the way you present verbal semantics and and what these things mean you know topic time time of situation and and time of utterance yeah, yeah. So um, again, if you want a fuller explanation, <laughs> um, you know, you'd, you'd have to to listen to the, to our podcast on this. But um, you know, in in two minutes, basically, topic time is the time that you're talking about, right? Um, so, and, and this this really goes back to um, Reichenbach, who um, talked about event time, reference time, and speech time. Um, these terms are from um, Klein, Time and Language, 1994. Um, very influential theory of, of tense and aspect. Um, so within semantics, um, topic time is, is the time that you're talking about. So, so that time um, is related to two other time intervals um, or points. So there's a time of utterance. So that, that's what tense is. Tense is a relationship between um, the topic time and the time of utterance. So basically what it, what it is, is, um, you know, um, if I'm talking about, let's say, 1984, right? Um, and my time of speech is after 1984, then I'm going to put that in past tense, right? Very simply, um, that sentence, you know, in 1984, you know, Ronald Reagan was president, right? Um, so, so that's the kind of thing that, um, yeah, you, you have a relationship between two intervals. Um, and that's, that's what tense is, or a point in an interval. And then, and then aspect is just a relationship between the topic time and the time of situation, right? Which are, again, two intervals. So again, it gets way more complicated, but um, the progressive in English, right, is normally called imperfective. Um, we'll just call it the uh, progressive. So if I said, you know, I, I was walking to the store, um, what, what I'm saying is that um, I, was, I was in the middle where I, I, I hadn't completed that um, action of walking to the store. Um, and so the, in that case, the, the topic time is included within the time of situation. So the idea is that I can't see the end of my, um, of my walking to the store because I hadn't gotten there yet. Right. Um, so that means that I, the time I'm talking about does not include the end point of the time, the runtime of the situation, right? That's what, that's what imperfective is. Um, or progressive. Um, again, it gets way more complicated. But then the opposite is, you know, I, I walked to the store, in which case the the time of situation is included within the topic time, which means I've just reached the end point. When it, whenever we say I walked to the store, we know that the end point 
of me being at the store has been reached, right? And so that's that's the the basic distinction. Um, and then there's you know obviously the perfect and um, you know all kinds of different uh, relationships we can we can give between these two time intervals. But but this is you know within semantics, um, the semantics literature, this is not really debated, right? In in, in the sense that um, you know everyone knows that this is what aspect is, um, this is what tense is. There are you know, fine grained nuances, you know, between languages and, and how do we analyze this? How do we analyze that? But, um, but at the end of the day, they, they are relationship between, um, you know, intervals of time. Um, that's just, that's just what aspect and tense are in semantics literature. Brilliant. And I, um, cause given that we've name dropped Con Campbell, um, his advances in the study of Greek was, but at least for me, it was helpful in terms of aspect. And he uses uh, some helpful analogies to, or, or, or pictures in order to describe the difference in aspect. Um, the, the whole procession, whether you're by the side of the road or seeing it from a helicopter, I think others use that as well. Um, but um, all of that um, makes a lot of sense to me. And so um, thank you for clarifying it. The, a couple of other issues of contemporary linguistic theory enrich the Bibliolingo course. And just maybe you could give us a comment on a couple of those before we wrap things up. Because you teach verbs in a particular way, and you teach verbs with arguments. Um, what I'm, you know, the, an argument just is the word that's needed to complete the thought uh, of another word. Um, uh, so maybe you could um, say a little bit about what, what you're doing there with teaching verbs with arguments and uh, and maybe also which is the second is teaching content verbs and, and conjunctions and, and how, how you manage that and what you're doing with that yeah yeah so um this took a lot of uh yeah hashing out to to to, to do but basically the idea is that um like you said an argument is just another word that completes the thought of um, something else so verbs um you know like a transitive verb will will take an argument um, another word that completes that thought. So um, what what is important about that is that the argument um, can show up in different ways syntactically so or morphologically. So you know you you might have an argument in genitive case. Um, you might have an argument in dative case. You might have an argument you know as a preposition um, or showing up as a prepositional complement. Um, and so the idea is that when you learn a, a verb, um, you don't necessarily know what. Um, morphological case that argument is going to take. Um, so, for example, in English, touch um, takes accusative, right? Th this is actually pretty abnormal. Um, touch in, in, in many languages will not take accusative case. But in English, it does. And so when the Greek student um, gets to hoptomai, right, and they, they say, oh, okay, like, I, I, I would assume it takes accusative case, right, because that's what they see in English. Um, turns out it's the genitive, right, for, for verbs of touching in, in Greek. And that's pretty normal. Um, like I said, across languages, um, English is the abnormal one. And but, but the idea is that we don't know what language you are speaking. We don't know what language, um, you know, you're going to, or what case you might assume, right, um, you know, is, is going to be present in this case. And so what, what we need to do is, you know, teach verbs with their arguments, right? So, so to say, okay, I'm not just going to learn haptomai, right? But I'm going to learn haptomai, you know, altes, right? To, to know that this takes a, an argument in accusative, I mean, in genitive case. Um, and, and, and what's interesting too, is that sometimes what you have is different meanings when you have different cases. 
Um, so, so that again would be something that we would kind of build in. Um, if we're going to teach different senses, we're going to teach it each sense with the argument structure that it takes. So, so and then there's content verbs. So these are verbs like, um, you know, pisteo, for example, that I've worked a lot on. If, if you compare like believe and know, for example, in English, um, what they are is, is relationships between the believer or knower and a certain, you know, content, right? And that content, um, you know, you can actually depict, right, in, in a video, for example. And so what we've done is basically, um, for these kinds of, of verbs, we've, we've actually, or sentences, we've had two, we have two pictures or videos. We have one, per, one um, you know, where you have the, the believer or knower, and then um, the belief or knowing is actually just a relationship, right? And so we have a, a graphic depicting that relationship, and then we have another video showing what the actual um, you know, belief or knowledge is, right? So if I said, I believe that, you know, uh, mice are fun, <laughs> I don't know. Um, so I, I would have this, this um, relationship between myself and th this proposition that mice are fun. And then, um, you know, you, you would also, you would have a different relationship with no, for example. And so we would, we would have a different picture to, or graphic to depict that different relationship. The, the 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 actual structure of the sentence is the same, um, but but we would um, yeah sort of sort of use these graphics to to try to get you to engage with with what's really going on semantically behind the scenes. Yeah, and and because of the way it drills you, you really internalize these things. I find in the course, you know, you've got an aptometise, uh teen, you know, very very clear what the what argument is. Uh, the case in, in involved. Now we, we do need to wrap this up because I've 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 had you for a, almost an hour now. Um, I was going to ask you about you know relation to other current trends, relevance theory, discourse analysis, and such like, but that will probably take too long. Um, so maybe you could just um, tell us a little bit about the future of Biblingo. Are are you are planning perhaps to include uh, other languages, Latin or, or Aramaic? Um, yeah. Yeah, so the future, um, I mean, kind of the three big things are, um, one, a, a mobile app. I mean, we're, we're coming out with a desktop app um, in um, soon, very soon, a few weeks. Um, and then and then a mobile app would be the next the thing that people have asked us about over and over and over again. Um, as far as the languages go, um, Aramaic is definitely the next the next one on the list. Um we probably will not, I mean, I don't know, we go back and forth on Latin. Um, it wouldn't be next because there are so many other good resources for Latin. Um, but we would probably do, um, you know, some of the, some of the other Semitic languages, um, like Ugaritic or Akkadian or that kind of thing. Um, and then the other big thing that, that we, we have planned is to added more text to the Bible reading module. So the Septuagint, um, and then, but also, you know, just, Josephus, Philo, right? Um, Dead Sea Scrolls. So, so if you if you have that, right, then then you're you're looking at just a much broader corpus, right? Um, and you can again keep track of all the words. You can sort it by words you know, and so that way you can just you can get into a lot more text again in a way that that makes sense. Well, that sounds thoroughly exciting. I look forward to all of those developments. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for your time and for coming on to Biblingo. Now, I hope you've enjoyed um, this uh, interview. If you're interested, of course, do have a look at Biblingo online. Is it biblingo.com, simply? 
uh, biblingo.org. You can type in either one. It'll it'll work. Uh, out, so. Brilliant. Um, well, we look forward to hearing from you. If you experience the course, we know how you find it. Um, be in touch. Anyway, thank you very much, Kevin. And uh, until next time. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to OnScript, delectable conversations on scripture and theology. If this episode has brought you inner peace or lit your biblical fire, please consider a small donation of just 2 or $5 per month. Information on how to donate can be found at onscript.study slash donate.